I recently wrote a letter to 18 of you, of our congregation here among us, our families, parents of our five-year-old children, 19 children if you count the twins, in fact, five-year-olds. And that letter was regarding the fact that those children over the next 12 months will graduate from their worship training class and transition into this worship service with us. Recent changes that we've made in our child check-in procedures out in the lobby on Sunday mornings have caused us to realize that we need to be more deliberate about the way that we help parents to prepare their children for that transition. So in the letter, I offered to those 18 families a, a complimentary copy of a resource, a short book called Parenting in the Pew. Many of you have probably read that book before. And those free copies are on the bulletin table out in the lobby this morning for those 18 of you. Your names are on them if you wish to take yours. You who are visitors with us this morning ought to know that behind that wall over there meets actually about one-fourth of our congregation. Over 100 children under the guidance of more than 30 grown-ups in what we call worship training classes, which are intended to teach our children the gospel in the context of listening and participating in a simple liturgy to prepare them to transition into this worship service. So this morning, I want to take the opportunity to help all of us, I hope, with that transition by considering the words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible before you, you can open it to Proverbs chapter 2. And as you do, would you please stand? You young Christians among us, little disciples, you recent worship training graduates, I guess I ought to say this morning in particular, as you listen to this chapter from Proverbs and to the sermon, I want to see if you can listen for the answer to a question for me, as always. See if you can, can hear and pay attention and listen and see what are the two paths that are distinguished here in this passage what are they? What are, there are two paths described here. See if you can tell what they are, because one or the other of them you will follow in the world after worship training. Proverbs 2, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. 
who rejoice in doing evil and even delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May we pray. O Lord, our God, we do pray yet again that you would grant to us eyes to see and ears to hear your gospel in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you be seated? One of the things that I would really like to do and fully intend to do as a father of young children, and I have to admit I haven't done it yet because of my own neglect and other things, is to write an annual letter to each of our children from father to son, from father to daughter. You know, maybe including a photograph of myself with them individually from that time in their life. And writing to them words of love and encouragement, maybe recalling things that I saw in them during the previous year and my hopes and expectations, even my fears for them. Simply a letter of of love and encouragement to my children A letter which now at their young ages wouldn't mean quite so much to them as it would much later in their life when they could maybe look back if they still had them to read those letters and and be loved and encouraged by their father even when they are adults. It's a biblical pattern which is followed right here in Proverbs. This book of Proverbs is a letter from father to son. It's easy to see if you read through, especially the first nine chapters, and see the the repetition, my son, receive my words. My son, don't forget my teaching. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. My son, keep your father's commands. It's a letter from father to son. It's brilliantly poetic. It's deeply complex, really. And it's thoroughly Christ-centered as a masterpiece of biblical literature, and I have to admit that I'm actually sort of wary about preaching from it because, as Proverbs 26 says, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of a fool, and like a thorn that goes up in the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool, and I don't want this to be useless to you, and I certainly don't want it to be harmful like a thorn in the hand of a drunkard, and yet I recognize my own folly frequently enough. But nevertheless, there is solemn and faithful gospel wisdom wisdom here to guide us all, both young and old, in the world after worship training. Now, this is a topical sermon, and by that I mean that it really could come from any of the first nine chapters of Proverbs. I could have really chosen any of those to to, to pursue this sermon, and through those nine chapters, the father is appealing to his son to see the distinction between wisdom versus 
folly and the paths that lie beyond them. But we're going to launch from chapter 2 and see the broader scope of, of the book as we go, the letter, that is. Prospective visitors to our church, of course, often ask questions, and one question they will ask is, what is the demographic of your church? In other words, is it young or is it old? They don't mean how long has your church been around. They mean, what are the people in your church like? And so I'll answer to them, well, it's both. I mean, we have young folks and we have older folks. We have more immature and we have more mature believers in the walk of life in our congregation. However, I always have to add the little caveat. There are 112 of them who are under the age of six. 112 of them. And we've talked about that before in the context of worship training as a congregation. That is a wonderful providence for us, which allows for us a very healthy balance between observing the Lord's Supper as we come as families to His table together and observing the grace of baptism and its ongoing importance in the Christian life. But it does require work for all of us, virtually all of us, almost all of us have duties in nursery and worship training classrooms over there every six weeks. Virtually all of us do because we do take seriously the grace of teaching our children to worship. And in the process of that, it shows that it's not only the five and under set that needs training. Right. Worship training continues long after worship training is over. And so here in this love letter, a father appeals to his son to see the path where his lifelong training should take him. So what are we all? Children and parents, non-parents, both young and old alike, what are we all to learn from worship training? The wisdom of Proverbs shows us that we're to learn to fear the Lord. It's an introductory theme of the whole letter You may know that from the very beginning of the letter, back in chapter 1. I'll read to you the first seven verses. This is the introduction. There you read, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now in the very next verse that follows, the letter begins. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And he presses on into chapter 2, With the theme, my son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commands and call out for insight, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It is a letter from father to son, from the old and wise to the young and simple, or from the not so old and the not so wise to the younger and simpler, we might say, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. But what does it mean, of course, to fear the Lord? It's a question that Christians often ask and wonder about. 
And we're, again, like I said last week, not so far from the letter to the Romans that we uh, went through in such depth over the, the last months to, to know that the nature of this fear is not a, a cowering fear of a slave in the corner fearing punishment. It is rather the fear of a child to a parent. In Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote to us, remember, the Holy Spirit cries out in us, Abba, Father, or Daddy. That's the nature of this fear. And so, even here in Proverbs, the nature of that fear is implied, I think, in verse 6 and following. You'll understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God, he writes, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and equity, every good path. It's implied in a backdoor sort of way. It is the nature of this fear, reverence. It's respect. It's awe. Just like a child might have of their parents at a certain phase of life, at least. Mary and I are in a glorious phase of parenting, really as difficult as it is at times still, as all parents have. Our children are ages 8, 6, and 6. And at that age, they have had just enough schooling, but not enough, to overcome the notion that they think that mom and dad know almost everything. And we can do almost anything. They ask us questions constantly that they really should ask experts in a particular field because we have no idea what the answer is, but they assume that we do because we're mom and dad. They like to, to work math equations. One of them in particular is fascinated that we can, can figure out math equations in our head without writing it down on paper, and they can't even write it down on paper, and they marvel that we can do that. We're not brilliant scientists, but to them, we almost are. They are amazed that we can ride our bikes around White Rock Lake without stopping and by ourselves. They just can't believe it. It's amazing to them. They marvel at that. They revere us. They hold us in awe and respect us for those things. Now, if they're not always respectful to us, they do revere us. They biblically fear us, at least in terms of who they perceive us to be. And we should teach this fear of the Lord to our children. This is what worship training teaches us. Regrettably, though, many kids, rather than learning to fear the Lord, learn to be afraid, to be very afraid of mom and dad. Now, I know this not because of watching you, so don't begin to feel too self-conscious about it. I know it because of just sensing my own heart. I mean, I've felt it too. It's so common for mom and dad to be in the worship service with kids and enduring the feigned weariness, enduring the slumping posture and the fidgeting hands, Enduring the kicking of the seat in front of you and the shuffling of paper, the whispering and the complaining, the checking of the time, the I don't want to be here's and the when can we leave and go to lunch questions. And eventually, you just want to explode in one big sit still and be quiet. That's all I want from you. 
can't you just act like an adult once? Or didn't those worship training teachers do their job? And maybe you're like me, and at those moments you begin to imagine these ridiculous threats that a parent ought never to make to their child. Sit still, or there will be no lunch for you today, buddy. Be quiet, or you're going to find yourself walking home, because I'm not going to take you in my car. You know, maybe you do those things, as I do in my heart. And so our children learn an important but an often damaging lesson, and it's this. There's a difference between going to worship and just going to church. Those who go to worship go because they fear and revere and respect and hold in awe the God who made all things and gave them life in Jesus. Those who just go to church go because they fear men. Those who go to worship are content to trust that the Holy Spirit is actually at work in their efforts to train their children. And those who go to church are content if everyone just behaved properly and looked nice. Now, it's important to behave well in church, and and Mary and I are always after our children on Sunday morning, to behave well in church. There are some things you shouldn't do in church. It's important. And even appearance matters insofar as one isn't dressed immodestly or in a way that's completely distracting to other worshipers around them. Those things do matter. But behavior and appearance are not the goals of worship training. Not in the classrooms and not in here either, parents. Rather, proper fear of the Lord is. And one doesn't learn it in four years of worship training class. I mean, it takes a lifetime of worship. Solomon has advised on that. He said, here we've read it, My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure my commands, if you give ear to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, do we not do those things here in worship? We receive His Word. We treasure His commands. We listen for wisdom from His Word. We call out, even raise our voices in song, seeking after understanding. We do those very things. And then, he says, you will understand the fear of the Lord. We should call this worship training 6 through 100. Because that's what we're doing here. We are all being trained to fear the Lord in the context of worship. Well, of course, the lesson is not just theological, but it's practical as well because the proverb calls us not just to fear the Lord, but to follow a path. Verse 9, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Now, Proverbs is a fascinating book. It really is a fascinating book. Again, it's this letter from father to son, but many Christians read it and they think, well, there's not a word about Jesus in here, but there's a lot of really good advice, a lot of really clever sayings about how one ought to behave, whether in relationships at home or with friends or in business efforts in the world. 
a lot of good advice here in Proverbs, and so I can take those things and apply them to my life. And that's okay insofar as it goes, but it actually really misses the entire scope of the letter of Proverbs because every book of the Bible is Christ-centered. That, it, it, that is, it, it tells us about or it points us to or it prepares us for Jesus in some way or another, and Proverbs is no different. It just does it in a very unique, maybe even you could say a cryptic way. In the first nine chapters of the book, the father presents his son with two paths. The path of wisdom and the path of folly. And in the chapter we read, chapter 2, even there are about a dozen references to, to the word path or way. And if you skim through those first nine chapters, you see easily that it's a, a, an underlying theme of the whole letter. And the metaphorical device that's used in those chapters, especially 1 through 9, to represent that path or those two paths is a woman. In verse 16, we read about the forbidden woman. Otherwise, her name is Folly in the rest of the letter. The one who has forsaken God and leads her followers down to death. In chapter 3, verse 18, we meet there the woman whose name is Wisdom, and of her it says she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Our training in the fear of the Lord lies on the path of wisdom. And in chapters 10 through 31, which are the most, well, maybe the second most well-known part of Proverbs behind chapter 31 itself, the father makes it very practical for his son. He goes into a long list of hundreds of Clever sayings of advice, poetic and memorable descriptions of the path of fearing the Lord, and often its opposite as well. For example, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Or, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. It's good advice. And there are hundreds of them there. Good advice for anyone from any religion, from any time in history, from any place in the world could read those and say, that's, that's really clever, that's good advice, I like that, I need to take that and apply it to my life. But where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in this? Now the last chapter of the letter is a summary description of the hero of the whole letter, Lady Wisdom, Proverbs 31 woman, as she's often called among Christians. And her description there, I have to note, is a helpful guide uh, for life uh, as a woman in Christ. But don't get too caught up in that because it's really a poetic personification of the wisdom of God himself, which is fulfilled in Jesus. And if you're not certain that that's true, that it's fulfilled in Jesus, you just have to see other scriptures to see it. Matthew 11, where Jesus acknowledges that Some people who know of him question his identity. And so he says this, John the Baptist, that is, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her actions, he says, equating himself thus with the metaphor of Proverbs. He's simply saying, you remember those Proverbs? Remember that woman in chapter 31? Now watch her actions. Her wisdom justifies herself by her actions 
And you see them right here. You could do extra homework if you want. I won't read this for you, but you could go to Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 31. There is there a poem in which Lady Wisdom describes herself and her own involvements in the creation with God from before the beginning of time. And then compare those verses to the early verses of Genesis 1 describing the creation account. And then take that and compare it to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where John describes the Word, which is Jesus. And there are other references as well which equate these things. The point is simple. The wisdom personified in Proverbs as this woman is the wisdom of God Himself, and it is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the forbidden woman, folly, is presented throughout Proverbs as a cheater and a liar and a schemer. In numerous references in Scripture, we are left with no doubt as to who this metaphor represents. And so the question from father to son becomes quite clear. Will you follow Jesus, the righteous and wise one, or will you follow Satan, the evil and foolish one? Worship training calls our children to choose a path to revere their heavenly Father and to reject the path of fools. Now, I would guess that among those of us older than the age of 10, very few of us probably were intentionally trained in worship. I would imagine that that you probably weren't so intentionally trained to worship as we try to do with our own kids here. However, every human being has learned to worship, you know, Every one of us. The question is, have they learned to worship the triune God who made them? Or have they learned to worship themselves? It's one or the other. The ancient reader of this letter would have recognized this fatherly and loving challenge to choose a path as a choice between life and death. That's what he would have recognized as he read this letter from father to son. Now, our worship training here in in our context, in our church, involves training both in the classroom and in the theater. And over in those classrooms over there, we are, at least in part, in large part even, fulfilling the vows that we take twice a month in, in watching a baptism take place here in the theater in our worship service. And in doing so, we're not just serving the kids, but we're even serving their parents, You're serving each other, sitting next to one another here in the theater. You're serving other parents. And so if the parents who are sitting next to you, even this morning, were to ask you about it, would you have to confess to them, I do a half-hearted job in the worship training class that your child attends. I don't come to worship with him. I just come to church to get it done. Or could you answer their question honestly by saying, I'm introducing your child to Lady Wisdom. I'm showing him her path and shepherding him onto it. I'm shielding him from the woman folly and placing him on the path that leads to life. Now, here in the theater, it's no place to sit back and relax for you who have children with you, certainly. And it's certainly not a place for sit still and be quiet 
methods of worship training. That's not what we're after. And I, and I have to say to you, we all know that children will be children. And, and it often stresses us out as parents. I know. You don't want your child acting like a wild animal in the worship service, and sometimes they do. But we all understand. We understand. So relax. We're not after a sit-still-and-be-quiet theology, but rather what we ought to be doing is, is leading them in worship. Many of you do this already. You, you guide them through the songs that we sing. You might even whisper a prayer of confession in their ear as we have the silent confession. Rich one time so helpfully recommended that, and it's a, it's a helpful practice if you're able to do that with your children. Many of you direct them through the liturgy as we're moving through it, and I would encourage you, as we have before, to direct your kids who are able to read and write to the work for young worshipers in the back of your bulletin. There are questions there that are kind of designed as a scavenger hunt for them to learn the details of the liturgy. And these are not just trivialities, but they're matters of wisdom or folly. They're matters of life or of death. And I have to say, too, that we realize that with age restrictions that we've placed on worship training volunteers, that it requires that some of you sometimes have children who are not your own sitting with you here in the worship service. But we all together have to remember that worship training doesn't end outside the classroom. It carries on whether you're in the classroom or in the theater. And the fear of the Lord is life, which is found as we follow the path of wisdom. And the Proverbs calls us as well to finish the training. Verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land. The training continues in the walking and the keeping. It doesn't end when a child turns six. It's really just beginning. We've really only launched you into it, and now it's time to really continue the worship training. And all of us are in worship training, even now and will be, until we inhabit the land, as Solomon writes here. In other words, in this life, we will always struggle in worship. It's work. It's work for young and old alike. But God is gracious and has given us a path follow. In that annual letter to my children, one thing that I will write to them is this. I hope that you grow up knowing Sunday as a special day that you love and actually enjoy because it is the day above all days when God calls you to his path in worship. Whoever finds me, writes Lady Wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me finds death. There's no doubt what you want for yourself and for your sons and daughters. You want that you and they should find her and thus find life and favor. This is the path on which worship training is to set your child And by God's grace, may you see that they remain there finding life and favor from the Lord. Amen. Father, we do pray that you would grant to us this wisdom that we might see 
in the Proverbs that you have provided for us this letter from a father to his son, that we might see the wisdom that is Jesus, and that we might turn to him in faith and learn by the work of worship to follow after him, knowing that in him there is life, that in him is the path that leads to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.